This is Coda Radio, episode 98 for April 21st, 2014. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our three great sponsors, DigitalOcean, Linux Academy, and Profile. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this here show goes on. My name is Chris, and joining us every single week is our excellent host on the East Coast, Mr. Michael Dominic. Hey there, Michael. I'm not really here today. This is an illusion. That's true. In fact, you're a married man at this very moment, aren't you? If you're when you're hearing this, I am married and I'm chilling with Mickey Mouse. <laughs> you actually literally are, which is so fitting for how many intros you've done like that. You are actually hanging out with Mickey Mouse right now because we are taping this ahead. We're actually recording this on uh, Monday, April 14th. So if something big happens in the in the dev world that we didn't talk about, uh, our bad. We we pre recorded we recorded ahead because Mike is on his honeymoon right now. Um, and that's fair. I think that's fair. I think that's not a big deal. And I'll tell you, too, um, it works out really well for me because if everything goes as we have planned, I will be just wrapping up the new studio move. So uh, crazy enough, today marks the uh, the fifth year that I have been in the Jupiter Broadcasting Garage Studio. And this will be the last Coda Radio we ever do from this <gasps> studio. Yeah. Yeah. When, when next we talk, we'll be from the new studio, assuming all goes as planned, of course. But uh, episode 99 should be from the new JB1 Studios. Chris, what if I showed up one day at the studio? Well, that's why we have a studio for people to show up at now. That's like one of the reasons we have one. So you, you, you kind of have to. Uh, uh, you know what? You know, maybe I should. <laughs> you should. It'd be really fun. And, and by the way, if you do it during the summer, uh, you'll get fed good barbecue because I have I already have a smoker at the studio and I'm I've already picked out one of my barbecues that I'm bringing to the studio. And spoiler alert, it's the charcoal barbecue. And it's Sold. delicious. Yeah. Okay. Sold. All right. Very good. So there you go. Uh, I thought uh, for the, for for those of you watching the video version, to say goodbye to the old studio. Here we are. I'm I'm out in the studio and it's it's. This is technically the last show that we'll ever do out here. It's kind of a big deal. Then we're going to be on to 100. It's just big times ahead. You're getting married. So there you go. So goodbye to the JB Garage Productions. It's been a good five years, but it's time to move on. And for my part, goodbye to freedom. (laughs) Well, I mean, there is that. But, you know, on the plus side... um, Anyways, moving on, we should probably get to... <laughs> Ouch. Oh, man, I, don't worry. Uh, don't worry, I'm just kidding. He's a jackass. <laughs> Noah Barry, you're right. First time I've ever agreed with Barry. Yeah, yeah. All right, so uh, one of the things we're hoping, although you never know, you just never, never know, but we're hoping that uh, the live stream will call in. The uh, The Jupiter Broadcasting Skype account is open. We're taking your calls. We're just It's an open mic episode as we go through some of the topics we've picked out. Lots of stuff to choose from this week. I think uh, one of the things that I wanted to maybe if we have a chance to get to is uh, some of Mike's uh, Linux packaging woes and... There has been some new stats about gameplay and the length of gameplay that are devastating. Devastating. And I'm wondering how the hell there's even a market for it in the long run. How is anybody going to make money? It seems like it's all based on infinite expansion, which we all know cannot last forever. Uh, So some great topics, plus any calls we decide to get if anybody mans up to call in or ladies up. I'd I'd actually prefer ladies. And I actually have one more topic that Chris doesn't even know about. This is on the DL. Oh, are you going to tease it, or is that it? Polish up those resumes and send them to Fingertip Tech. Oh, ho, ho, ho. Yeah. you want? What do you? What are, you are you guys? You got something going on? Are you you working on something over there? A little something, something that I'm hiring. Maybe some people with some uh, Unix knowledge or something. Oh, really? Really? Well, isn't that a little something? Something. So, where would they find out more about that? They should just email their resume and cover letter to jobs at fingertiptech.com or follow us on Facebook. That's easy enough. You got a brand new Facebook account too. You know, you should brand t- new. you should toss a link to that in the show notes so people can follow Fingertip Tech and see what you guys are up to. Just drop it in the, drop it in the dock. 
You know what I mean? Uh, while you're doing that, I'll tell you about somebody you should hire right here, right now. Although um, I think you'd have to offer him quite a bit of money because I think he enjoys running his own business and kind of being the king. But it is our first sponsor this week, and that is Profiler from Directory Wizards. I, I love this application, and I'm so happy to have them with us because this, honestly, I know this is going to solve a problem for some of you out in IT that I personally struggled with. That it. it that ground me down. And it honestly, it allows you to have an organization function the way it should when you need to make employee changes to your directory. Now, Profiler is a web-based LDAP directory administration tool. It'll pull down your schema so it'll work with your own LDAP or Active Directory and any modifications you've made to Active Directory. And it helps you free up valuable time from the help desk personnel by allowing users to self-service their own account details, like your last name, the phone number, the email forwarder, or maybe you want to assign that duty to their manager or maybe to the HR person. Because in Profiler, you can set up permissions to allow different people to do different tasks. People can be their own profile administrators, or people can administer multiple profiles. And now with Profiler, because you're handling it there, you don't have to structure your Active Directory OUs in such a particular way that that way certain people have access to certain other people, and it just locks you into a box. You can avoid all of that. And the great thing about Profiler is you can get up and running in just a couple of minutes. So go to derwiz.com slash Profiler and use the promo code CODER4 when you, when you download it. And that'll get you an extended 30-day trial. And what's awesome about that is that'll give you a chance to set up. Because the setup's like five minutes. You can throw it on an Apache box. You can throw it on a Windows box with IIS. Or it'll run with its own internal uh, web server if you just want to just get up and going really fast. And it supports all types of LDAP directories. Open LDAP, a single AD domain, you name it. You pull that in there, you get it set up, and then you can set up permissions for different folks. I think this is one of the things that should be built into the hiring and firing process. A lot of companies, you know, you give maybe the HR person access to Profiler. They can manage these kinds of things like last name changes. Has support for LDAP 3. You can It supports custom and non-standard. Like if you have something you've done for support of uh, SharePoint, it'll allow that. And the best part, truly the best part for me, this is the part that I hated the most, exchange mail forwarding. Automatic creation of contacts and forwarding by just typing in an email address. And then Profiler manages all of that exchange stuff on the back end. It's pretty cool. So go download, use the code CODER4. And for those of you that need something for auditing, for maybe the particular industry you're in, or just for your own security, Profiler supports writing to Syslog, which makes it very easy to parse any actions taken, and you can have it email managers when an employee's details have been updated. That's pretty awesome. And I know that in the situations that I could have used this, that Syslog functionality would have played in really well to an overall logging strategy that we had that monitored output from multiple machines. And Profiler could have been one more machine contributing to this collection that we had that we were then throwing through some tools to parse. And it would have made all of those changes very visible to us. So Profiler would have saved a whole range of problems, from the auditing of user changes to the proper managing of those modification updates. And it's so easy and straightforward to get set up that you can start benefiting from the efficiency immediately. So go to durawiz.com slash profiler and go check it out. Use that promo code CODER4 to get that 30-day extended evaluation. And a big thank you to Directory Wizards for supporting Coder Radio and congratulations on the new Profiler, guys. That's really awesome. I wish I had that tool, like, years ago. Where were you? <laughs> yeah, like, sure. Yeah, you make it now that I'm out of the IT industry. I understand how yeah. it goes. Um, all right, why don't we start with our emails, and then we'll get to all our other shenanigans. Uh, Oliver writes in, and he says, uh, Easy reporting needed, gentlemen. I'm running a small project management business. To support our change management process, we have developed a very small and lightweight application. The usage of SQLite, PHP, and HTML5 gives us an easy-to-deploy system that can run on very minimalist Linux systems. So far, so good. Now we want to implement a weekly email PDF report to send to our users. The content should be simple, nice looking, and spreadsheet with multiple pages if possible. To make a technology decision is a nightmare. All nice solutions, for example, OpenOffice as a report tool, require a complete installation of X on our servers. For all the simple solutions, you have to develop everything from scratch and I know what he means because I've had to cobble together tools to do this before. I think I could use a simple HTML page with table and CSS as a starter, but there I cannot find a simple way to render that into a PDF. So do you have any suggestions? Thanks, and love the show, Oliver. What do you think, Mike, about generating reports? i got a couple things I've tried, but is there any go-to stuff that you've liked for you know, taking like a web page that gets generated by uh, some server code and outputting that to a PDF? Uh, not off the top of my head. I know there's some gems that can can do something very similar, but this is going to sound really weird. That's not something I've commonly had to do much. And 
just off the top of my head, I don't have anything modern that I would recommend. Yeah, there are uh, there are a lot. So I think what he's trying to avoid is the series of command line tools. There there is a lot of ways to do this through PHP and on the command line as well. Yeah. I'm probably not as current on all of them, so I thought I'd put this out into Ether. Uh, because we're going to be off this next week. Maybe the folks in the subreddit could uh, go in and chime in on Oliver's question here. I, I know, you see, the fact that he's already using PHP, I think he's actually pretty close, because I've been involved with PHP projects where yeah. very commonly users would spin off a, a PDF of the site. So, Yeah, I know with a bunch of Rails stuff, there are gems that can basically just do this. Um, and Cypher says in the chat room that he, this is, I can see this, he says he's written a latex template, and then he renders that to PDF using a cron job. So uh, you could see something like that working too. Uh, uh, um, it also says you could use the, the Google Cloud Print API, which is pretty neat if, you want, if you're okay with something external. It allows you to print PDFs of anything. So the Google Cloud Print API might be something to look at too if you're, if you're comfortable. He didn't mention the sensitivity, sensitivity of the data. But the other nice thing about that is then they would do the computing for you as well. So that's kind of nice. All right, I, I got another one that uh, is kind of uh, kind of an odd one. See, we got a couple of odd ones for this week. Uh, David writes in, because uh, they're all kind of esoteric and specific. He says, I recently started using Ansible to maintain a server state at work and would like to know how, in your opinion, it stacks up to Puppet, Chef, Salt, CF Engine, et al. Also, should I diversify my DevOps talents by picking up skills with other solutions or focus on being the best using Ansible or any other tool instead? Thanks for the great show. So it's a very specific question, but I think the yes. meta question here is, um, so he's a developer. And he's trying to come up with a way to manage multiple servers, which I totally understand. When you start to get a lot of rigs, you know, yeah. you, you start to be buried just in management and, and administration. So you want to come up with a way to orchestrate that automatically for you. Um, here's the thing. Uh, I, I, I am not a oh boy. I don't mean to defend you, Mr. Dominic, but I am not a huge fan of uh, developers doing this kind of work. I mean, I know some of you can. Ansible is a good tool. The thing is, is he mentioned Puppet, and and that's where I lean because there's such a wider, broader community around Puppet of folks you can pick up off the street, and they'll have Puppet skills. And I think I'm sorry, are you suggesting you want to pick up a bunch of Puppet hobos? Hmm, that is kind of what I said. <laughs> <laughs> Dang almost it! Ex- it's almost uh, exactly what you yeah, said. Yeah, it is. It is. Well, you know, I got uh, I guess I got hobos on the mind. Um, and here's why I say maybe go with Puppet is. If I could make a recommendation, it would be this probably – I don't mean to be talking down to you, uh, David, but this probably shouldn't be your primary focus forever. So you want to go with a system that you can manage as long as you have to, but then you can hand it off to somebody who's maybe a little more skilled to be a sysadmin who can make sure he's building an infrastructure that scales. Because honestly, if you've gotten to the point where you need something like Puppet, then you're probably at the point where you're getting close to needing a full-time or at least a dedicated, maybe not a full-time, but a dedicated server administrator to make sure that things like Heartbleed are being patched. Um, And Puppet, I would say, is your best bet in terms of being able to find somebody else you can work with that can just pick up. And Ansible's good, too. But I've seen a lot more people with experience with Puppet. Mike, am I putting developers in a box? Should I not? Should I not no. have this expectation? So it's weird because I've echoed your sentiment, but not on the sysadmin side. On the when developers pretend to be DBAs kind of thing, uh, for mainly the same reason, right? Once you have that problem, you probably aren't qualified to deal with the issue anymore. Just like sysadmins who pretend to be developers is not good either, right? Um, uh, having said that, I think you're right, but I don't think that's helpful. Okay, <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> I think it's, I think your answer was one of my. Well, it depends on what you use, and if you're comfortable in that tool chain, like one of my. <laughs> answers. Damn uh, it! <laughs> I, I would say so. All right. Here's the thing. And then, I like you, shit. You've I, called me out, Mister Dominic. I'm I'm out. I'm I, you've exposed me to the world. It's raw. You are. Yeah. No. Um. I like Chef. I have no rational reason for liking Chef. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The chat room's loving on Chef too. It's it, it's it's fine. I mean, all I would say is that there are a lot of these tools now, um, and with the whole DevOps movement, I kind of feel like we're changing our our tools, like we kind of change our underwear, right? Um, I'd like to say that I use Chef because Chef is awesome. 
I'd like it not to be true that I use Chef because I started using Chef a while ago and hmm. it's easier to keep using it. That's what I was wondering. And see, this yeah. I, maybe maybe I'm maybe my perspective is outdated a bit, but to me, uh, Puppet seems to have the community momentum. And so where I was, I, Chef is great, Ansible yeah. is great, but where I was coming from was like build something you can hand off. So I'm kind of having these troubles now at fingertip. There's a number of functions for older deployments that only I can do mm-hmm. because things were done, well, just basically in Chef. Well, dude, who who you telling? I'm in the middle of moving between studios and editors, yeah. and it's like, oh, yeah, that, yeah, Rikai, you have to do that like that because X, Y, Z, and I just needed to fix it really quick while I was trying to get a show out. Like, there's so many yeah. things that, like, were set up for me to do, and now I'm trying to get out from underneath it, and, you know, it's a huge process. Like the, you know, trying to do this Docker transition has been, first of all, we've kind of had to pump the brakes on Docker a little bit. Mm. Uh, not because there's anything wrong with Docker, just because it didn't make sense right now to make a big change. Uh, I, I don't know. I guess I would challenge why do you have to pick one tool? And if you did pick it, why is it Puppet? Because he mentioned Puppet several times in his email. Well, and I was too. I think, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's the most common tool. I mean, that's a fair answer. Yeah, Yeah, I think so. The most common. I mean, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, maybe maybe I'm going to backpedal, Chris. Maybe you're right, because I almost feel I don't like doing this kind of work. Right. If if it's not your core enjoyment and you want to focus on developing, that's why I think, even if it's not the best solution, like maybe Chef or Ansible has some feature you like more, wouldn't it just be great to build something that you know you can hand off? You know, not I mean, that you're going to not always, not that you're not going to do it for a little while yourself, but eventually build something in mind that somebody I mean, else will be able to pick up. Chef and, and puppet are so common that you yeah. should be able yep. to yep. hand up. Yeah, I, I, yeah, and I, I would say chef and puppet are the top two that I would think people could pick up and run with. You know, uh, we talk about coffee from time to time. We actually. Chat room's a bunch of jerks. I was watching the chat room the other day, and they're like, oh, Coda Radio? You mean Coffee Radio? This is just like like two days ago. We haven't talked about coffee for like three or four weeks. So I just want to put that on record. This has not been Coffee Radio, so screw you, chat room. I love you, though. Uh, That's okay. WWDC is coming, people. That's all I'm going to say. Uh-oh, here comes the Mac talk. Did you, by the way, try to get a ticket? I did not. I'm paying for something called a wedding. That, <laughs> right, yeah. that $1,600 ticket just wasn't <laughs> oh, on the cards. Oh, man, I hear you on that. Uh, yeah. uh, so, uh, And besides, you get like all the videos and stuff, right? So it's yeah, kind of... Well, and this year they're doing a lottery, too, but I figured I wouldn't even try because let someone who, who can seriously go, go, like... <laughs> I know Chatroom was joking. Yeah, no, yeah. Why take a ticket from somebody that uh, could like really you know wants to go and benefit? I, I'm here. I hear you on that. Uh, I actually look forward to talking about it. I think it's fascinating to watch what these different big tech companies are doing. Even if yeah, 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 uh, I can actually talk about it. <clears throat> so I want to talk um, before we transition to some uh, Hoopla and stuff. Just to revisit the coffee topic one more time, because both Mike and I are being absolutely blasphemous today. Uh, do you want to say on air uh, what Don't you're drinking? Tell them. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm going to talk about coffee, man. I'm drinking a store brand K cup right now. That's all right. I am drinking a energy drink that is packed oh. full of sugars and all these. It's actually all natural stuff, but it's like cane sugar, but it's still full of sugar and stuff. But you know, you got we needed something quick for our second episode. So what are you going to do? Second episode in a row. Uh, but if you guys, if you've heard us talk about coffee and it piqued your interest, because we've had a few guys email in and say, oh, geez, guess what? We have our first caller. Oh, and here I was about to talk about uh, coffee. Uh, here he is, because as soon as we're going to talk about coffee, someone's got to run All right, on. Dasani's calling in. Hey there, Dasani. Oh, and he dropped right as I and introduced him. And he dropped. Look see, at that. What? You know, kids it, these days. It naturally comes in a can from a tree. Exactly, Zane. It comes, it, it's well, a... I was going to tell you about this. Oh, hi. Hi there. Hi there. Hi there. Welcome back. Hello. Oh, did, did I? Yeah, you dropped. So uh, what's on you? So what is on your mind, caller? Go ahead. All right. So um, this weekend, I actually went to the St. Saint Louis Game Jam. It, have you heard of these Game Jam events sponsored by Riot? Uh, I, I think I'm familiar with the, is it a, um, well, no, because the concept that I'm familiar with are these little mini game developer workshops that have been popping up. Is it kind of like that or is it something else? Uh, so a workshop, that would imply a little bit more skill than what you're working with. Okay. So these are, you know, some design students or industry people who wanted to, you know, change it up a bit. Um, 
It was sponsored in part by Riot Games and a couple of local contractors here in St. Louis, but there was a global game jam sponsored by Valve and postulated by them, or um, propagated by them. Promoted, um, yeah. Like some months ago, and then people have continued to have more game jams since then in St. Louis, and I just went to one this weekend. Uh, you know, 48 hours to make a game. So we start from 5 o'clock uh, Friday night to uh, 5 o'clock Sunday night, but that's because you get your your pro- you're supposed to start your project a little later. Anyway, it's 48 hours to create a game, and mm. you can either have a small team or a big team, and you get to learn about project management and staying on task in 48 hours, caffeine uh, balance, and just knowing the balance of artists versus, or sorry, creatives versus engineers on your team. Oh, sure. Yeah. Cause you got to figure it out fast too. Yeah. And personality dynamics. I mean, we all work together together, but you know, I didn't see what was in the other rooms. If anyone got into any arguments about the direction <laughs> the game is going in. So did you, um, did you make a game? Did it work? Did, were you successful? Yeah. It, yeah. You can call that a game. Yeah. I would, <laughs> like, yeah. There were the, the the resources. The 3D modeler was better at modeling than texturing, so our 3D models had no textures. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you're rushing it like that. That's that's not too bad. I mean, that's yeah. understandable. So people, I guess, maybe the bigger teams had better resources, and so oh, there's also a skill gap, right? So I decided, you know, I learned, I picked up Unity, like did a tutorial, made a, a, a car wheel around on a plane last year. I should be good for this year. So you used cold. Unity during this event? Say what? You used Unity uh, to make the game? So many Unity developers. It was really? funny. Like, yeah. I, I could just walk into any of the five other rooms, and they were all... Although several of them were using Unity 2D capability, but I wanted to do it in 3D because physics works better for me in 3D. Yeah. And... Uh, it was just hilarious how many Unity guys, I mean, how many people decided, yeah, I think I'll use Unity for this. Well, you know, I've definitely noticed, um, because I'm always trolling Steam to see what they're releasing for Linux, I have noticed just uh, an unbelievable amount of Unity-based games. Some people criticize that. I know some people don't like them, but I, I still find them, some of my favorite games were written in Unity. Yeah, it's it's good. just have to know what you're doing at least a little bit more than... Yeah. Well, that is a. So, how did people? How did you find out about this event? And do they do it everywhere, or how does this work? Because this sounds like a cool deal. I'd love to even just go there to visit it. Well, um, let's see here. Global game jams are a thing okay. that happened last year sometime. Okay. But I mean, not last year. Last uh, month sometime in March, and then people just decided to have St. Louis ones. Oh shoot! Yeah, <clears> I just <throat> saw there's a Seattle one too. Yeah. This is cool. This is really neat. This is a great idea. So let's see. Uh, uh, new locations in California, uh, Chicago, and some places I can't pronounce properly because I have a bad education. Uh, yeah. Wow. This is really neat. Well, thanks for letting us know about this, Jasani. Yeah. Glad to glad I could tell you all about it. Well, uh, so are you going to uh, continue on the game that you created or are you done now that uh, the event's over? Well, I'm gonna, yeah, Mike wants to buy it on Steam. I'm, I'm a no, no. <laughs> I'm a sucky modeler, so I'm gonna learn how to model from the the other guy. He was a Blender modeler, but the only one, so I was lucky because everyone else used Maya. And um, uh-huh. I'm gonna learn the Blender game engine now, just for fun. <laughs> so the rumors that you were the creator of Flappy Bird are untrue, is what you're saying? Oh, God, no. Oh no. <laughs> Although there's a tutorial on how to make a how to make Flappy Bird in Blender. Because it was easy. Oh, wow. Uh, that's incredible. Blender is kind of amazing. People can do everything from movies to, to uh, video game animation. It's pretty awesome. Uh, all right, man. Well, thanks for calling in, and uh, that's great. So uh, Global Game Jam, and uh, you guys can Google that, and uh, I'll toss a link here. Let me go. I'll go put a link to that in the uh, show notes, too. Is there anything else you want to share with us before you run? Uh, civic hacking is also happening sometime this month, and that's also a countrywide thing. So, uh, codeforamerica.com, I think it is. Wow, that sounds patriotic. Code for America. <laughs> and that's civil hacking, is that to find um, security civic flaws? Civic hacking. Civic. Is that to find security flaws, or what is that? 
No, it's, it's publicizing your uh-huh. local government's data because the local governments are underfunded for technology always. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, they need some geospatial help. They need to publicize the data on um, something other than a PDF or a Word doc or a half a gig size Excel. Right. They got all this stuff, but they can't do anything with it. <clears throat> yep. Yeah. No, no opportunities for data analysis. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, maybe you can call back in on our next call-in episode and let us know how it goes if you attend. Cool. All right. All right, man. Thanks, and have a great rest of your day. All righty. You too. So uh, now uh, that was that was really interesting. I had never heard of that, but uh, I'm glad he called in. So I wanted to I wanted to give folks who had emailed into the show uh, asking about our coffee setup because I'm not. I mean, I'm just such a noob. I don't really feel like I'm comfortable recommending coffee setups to people. But there's at makeuseof.com. There is uh, just like a quick article that you guys can check out that I've linked in the show notes that if you need your caffeine fix, it's all really good stuff for like good prices. Uh, like here's a $25 grinder that is pretty well rated. Here's a $30 uh, press uh, if you want to do a French press like Mr. Dominic. All really good stuff. Is none, of, none of it's overly expensive and they have different options depending on how you want to make your coffee. And... Um, I'm still rocking the AeroPress. That's still my, but I don't know if there's something better out there. But it seems like it's pretty hard to beat perfection, so I haven't been too compelled oh. to replace. It. Oh, I'm just saying. Yeah, I, mean, I would I, even say you're actually a couple levels higher than me. I, I'm not. I'm just using a straight French press, like you said. Well, I no, that seems fine. I don't. I don't. I can't yeah. even say what the difference is between the two. I mean, I'm too much of a noob to even know, you know, what how they make coffee differently. All I know is that I like the I like the AeroPress quite a bit and it seems pretty straightforward. The thing is I have to have like an electric kettle and you know that yes. has to be separate. I have to have a separate grinder. I have, you know, all these parts I put them back in their pouch when it's done, but you know, there's a lot of cleanup and stuff. Uh I just I, I think part of it too is I I don't know about my grinder. I think maybe that's where I'm the weakest cuz I just got some crap grinder and then people have told me like, "Oh no." No, no, no. The grinder is the most important part. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, well, I just bought something cheap off of Amazon. So I thought I'd link to something in the show notes. That way, if folks wanted uh, um, some ideas, these are seem all reasonably priced and probably better rated than some of the stuff that I picked up. So now I'll be able to point to that and I can say, check that out. Uh, or you can be like Mr. Dominic and just have K-Cups. Uh, what? what? <laughs> I, my K-Cup machine finally gave out. Like, it got all clogged up because I wasn't running. I didn't know I was supposed to be running vinegar through it. Did you know you're supposed to run vinegar through those things time to time? I did not. Like a diluted vinegar, so that way they don't, like, calcify or something. I uh, did not know that. You know what else I don't want to calcify? Your What's brain. That? And our next sponsor can help you with that, Linux Academy. Go to linuxacademy.com slash coders to save $5 a month on the Linux Academy subscription. Linux Academy is so, so cool. If you're looking to brush up your Linux skills, your OpenStack skills, your AWS development skills, Linux Academy has training and certification preparation courses for you with step-by-step videos, practice exam, and live labs running off their own servers. It's super awesome, and you can get started right now by going to linuxacademy.com slash coders and up your skills. The way their system works is you log in, you select your courseware, and you get, you get access to everything. When you have a subscription, all courses are available to you. All the new courses, they're adding two to three a week. They're all available to you. You just get them as part of that, and you can jump in. You can resume wherever you left off. You get time indicators of where you're at. You get video and audio introductions. It's super cool. In fact, it's so cool that I believe, rumor has it, that Mr. Dominic has been hounded by his team to sign up for their uh, group uh, option where you can have a team of folks that have access to Linux Academy. Is there any truth to those rumors, Mr. Dominic? Uh, well, I will say that uh, my team is a bunch of entitled little pricks, so yes. <laughs> wow. Wow. You know, they're probably listening. <laughs> nah, they never listen. <laughs> well, I think I can understand why, because you get also some serious value out of this. You get to download the study guides. PDF course notes are available. And if you have different Linuxes that you need to worry about, or maybe you want to learn a more rounded, you want to have a more rounded Linux skill set from multiple distribution, they have seven plus Linux distributions. The courseware materials adjust to the distribution you select. When the lab requires a server, they spin up a server on the back end for you. And what's super nice about that is when you're taking some of the AWS stuff, they'll just manage the AWS interest, uh, instance for you, and you don't have to worry about getting a surprise bill from Amazon. And you can go over to linuxacademy.com slash coders to get started. You can sign up right there with a PayPal account. You can get in and get out. Uh, they have so many awesome courses on different aspects, and they also will help you keep track of your progress, which is really nice for me because what I'm able to do is I've, I really feel like um, you could probably put me in front of 
I mean, it's not probably. You can put me in front of any Linux computer, and I, I can manage just fine. But I am, uh, for the most part, self-taught on Linux. And what's really awesome is I've been going through some of the Linux Academy courseware and just brushing up on some of my background that it's like, oh, okay, that's another way to think about using those tools. Because there's so many awesome tools in Linux that you can link together that sometimes it's nice to see something laid out. And the way they do their course material is, okay, tonight I know I'm going to take about 15 minutes on that. And I still have, when I'm offline, I still have the course notes and study guides I can kind of flip through and sort of just sanity check. But the best part is, is because I can pick up and resume, sometimes I step away for a little bit. And at the end of a course, I can take a quiz to just sort of verify to myself. I mean, I'm just checking for myself if I have retained everything that I wanted to learn. I love the way they have the Linux distribution set up. I love that they're adding stuff all the time. Uh, they're working right now on a really cool OpenStack introduction course, and OpenStack is blowing up. They've got VMware in here. Uh, they've got all kinds of great courses. They're adding two to three a week, so there's always something to check out. And you really get value out of your subscription. But the best part is... If you go to linuxacademy.com slash coders, you'll save 20%. 20% when you sign up, and you'll be letting Linux Academy know that you appreciate them supporting the Coder Radio program by visiting linuxacademy.com slash coders. And you can also check out their forums, where you can find p- folks that are in the process of learning, in the process of testing and certifying. The whole idea here is there's courses that you can take that when you're done, you are ready to get the certification. And in some cases, they'll even get a discount to go take those certifications from Linux Academy. It's a really cool system. They've got awesome customer service. They've got great guys working, generating original courses that are scenario-based for you to learn something new every time you go there. It's pretty awesome. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. Don't forget that S on coders. And a big thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. I'm playing with it. Mike's playing with it. His team's playing with it. There's so much good stuff to learn from it. It's a, it's yeah, a great it, resource. It's pretty Linux awesome. i got to give it that. It is pretty Linux awesome. That's a good way to put it. Uh, all right. I wanted to bounce a little uh, dev hoopla off you. I know you got a couple topics you want to throw my way, too. So um, <clears throat> I'll start because I think this will probably be our quicker of the topics. And it's from Recode. I don't know if you're familiar with them. That's uh, I am. I'm actually a big fan. They just came out. What was it, two months ago? Yeah, and I actually, I'll, I'll be honest, I started a little skeptical. And then, um, you know what, after following them for a little while, I'm kind of impressed. And I like some of the stuff they've written. So we're going to get to that here in a second. But uh, Seth just called in on the Coda Radio hotline. Seth, are you there? Oh, and then he hung up as soon as I said, what is with that today? What love is love, guys? I, I think people. Uh, I think uh, what happens sometimes is people call in. Oh, now he's calling right back. Good, good man, Seth. Good man. Hey there, Seth. Hello. 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 Hey, man. What's uh, going on? Hello. Seth, what's on your mind? Hello? Talk to us, Seth. Ah. I think Seth is having audio yeah. problems. All right, Seth. You call the Skype lady, and then call us back. That's okay. Little uh, Coda Radio Pro tip. Call the Skype lady before you call the Coda Radio program. Make sure she can hear you, and then we'll be able to hear you. Because, Seth, we could hear you, although your audio was pretty low. Uh, and while Seth works that out, I'll tell you about this article that I caught over on Recode that um, the numbers are devastating, but I'm going to be honest, they ring true. Check this out. They did a look at game uh, uh, mobile game players and their behavior and how most players quit after one day of usage 19 percent of new players open games only once and 66 percent had stopped playing after 24 hours on average players spent about 45 cents over the course of 90 days only 2.2 percent of players spent any money at all i'm going to say that again 2.2 percent of players spent any money at all and 46 percent of the revenue came from the top 10 percent of those spenders I think that right there is damning. It shows you all these in-app naggings and purchases they're doing are only hitting and only effective on 2.2%. 46% of the money they get from those people are only the top 10% of those 2.2%. That's, 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 that's hugely bad. Intriguingly, the recode goes on to say, 53% of the spending in the game surveyed happened within the first seven days after users started playing. So two-thirds of players leave after day one, and half their value as a playing customer, as a paying customer, evaporates after a single week. Now, recode uh, heard from uh, a free-to-play veteran, uh, DNA, head of the European Game Studios, uh, uh, Ben Cousins is his name. He says the numbers... Uh, found that they found for one of their games are not, uh, they're not surprising at all they match what recode wrote about he said a 40 percent retention on day two is a hit it's a sign of a real hit he said in a tweet if they have a 40 percent ret- retention rate after on day two they consider it a massive success that is 
I mean, to me, how the hell can anybody make a lot of money unless they're constantly seeing explosive growth, the kind of a growth you only see at the top of the App Store charts? It basically, to me, what this says is if you're not on an App Store chart, if you're not, if you're not featured somewhere, you're not going to make any money at all because the volume required to make money – so you have to have – if you're only making money off 2.2% of the people who install your app, that's devastating. Right. So, so I, I'm a little surprised that you're surprised, though. All this is saying is that the, uh, you know, the model of whales in the mobile game space is still alive and well. Um, did did you did you not think that was the case? Well, um, I mean, I, I guess I should have. I just kind of felt like app stores are this new generation, a uh, new life for independent developers. I got this. I have these pictures of these guys who make some apps and they blow up and they become super uh, well off, and that's what they do for the rest of their life. You know, I have, I still have the Marco Armits and the and some of the original game developers in my mind when I think of this scenario. But um, uh, I guess w- my question to you maybe is: is is this just totally damning of the in-app purchase unless you're huge? Like, does this mean you need to charge up front? Well, we've talked about it a few times, not necessarily in the context of games, that the in-app purchase model favors larger organizations, right? Because you need a lot of runway to absorb losses. I think we've speculated, but I think this kind of yeah. I think this is the data behind that speculation. All right, that's fair. It's. I just, I, I guess yeah. what I'm kind of, what I'm, what, what, it's one of these things where in-app purchases have blown up, and then here we are uh, a couple of years into this, and it's like, oh, well, so now as users, we're annoyed, and developers are frustrated. Right, but on the same token, paid games and mobile don't traditionally do very well. Yeah. <clears throat> and, and it seems to be essentially platform agnostic, too. I, I didn't get right. the sense that it was... Um, you know, particularly different on Android versus iOS. I mean, maybe it is, but uh, the report tracked the behavior of more than 10 million players for 90 days starting in November of uh, 2013. All the players were new to the games being played, covering more than 30 tile, uh, titles. And this is on the Swerve network. So I don't know what games those are, but that's a European network. Um, I guess I'm just a little, uh, I don't want to say depressed, but... Uh, I guess this officially kills the honeymoon for me. Like, I just really wanted to believe that um, a, a couple of folks could go out and make a good living on making software through these app stores. And I, yeah, what, I, what you're I, telling I, me is I have to be EA. No, I, I mean, this is the same problem I've railed against a number of times, the devaluation of software, the commoditization of software. Yeah. Yeah, and this it's is just, just it. And this is this is the this is this is it. I mean, we're seeing it right well, here. Well, it's been much more aggressive in the game space than it has in in other spaces. Yeah, yeah. All right, all right. That was my hoopla story. Now, uh, did you want to? Uh, I know you got two. You wanted to lay down. Did you want to pick on uh, Linux packaging? Uh, you know what? Let's do the other one. Okay. All right. Let's do the other one. So you're hiring. Yes. Um. So looking for. Folks in New Jersey who uh, love Unix have to be in New Jersey. They can't work remote. To, okay, have to be in New Jersey. We did remote, didn't work out. Okay, and this is the conversation I want to have. Less for me to plug hiring, but plug, plug, plug. Go follow us on Facebook. More about. It's funny because now that I'm on the other side for a good portion of the time, remote really doesn't work when it doesn't work. I know that's a stupid platitude, but wow. Well, we came down pretty hard on Yahoo's decision when Marissa Meyer uh, pulled the plug on remote working. I mean, we were pretty critical. It's it's just amazing how how much you lose by by being remote. Um, Even little things like we still have remote people. um, The the lovely Zane Swafford, and you know he's just fine. But we've had other folks that it just doesn't work out. And I think it's funny, given all you know, all the tools we have. Uh, we used to use HipChat. Now we're using a program called Slack for remote communications. You know, big GitHub users. Chris, my GitHub cost is now a hundred bucks a month. <laughs> Ouch! <laughs> Enjoy GitHub. That escalated quickly. Yeah. Yes. Um, but still, not having that right there water cooler interaction has a cost. And I don't know. Am I becoming an old curmudgeon? Um, no, I agree with you. Actually, I don't. I don't think you're. Curmudgeon. 
a, a curmudgeon at all. I think, uh, and unfortunately, I've noticed this on the opposite end because I've been the remote guy a lot working right. with clients. And, um, you know, for clients that were important, I would have to set up on-site meetings. And if I was really important, it'd be weekly. And if it wasn't, if it wasn't uh, weekly, it would be as frequently as schedule would allow. And the clients that I didn't really like, super get too worried if i lost i wouldn't bother um towards the end and that to me was the biggest indicator that yeah being on site really matters um it <clears throat> hi there it, it it teaches people how to interpret the way you write that they can hear your voice better in an email when they when they even you know like because when you're on a phone you're in phone mode you know but when you're with somebody you learn their tones you learn the way they speak and so right. when you read something in an email like sometimes if you don't work with that person day on and day out uh, in person, you can sometimes misinterpret the tone, which can then just sort of, it seems like such a small thing, but it can breed um, dissatisfaction on both sides, distrust on both sides, uh, frustration on both sides. And that's just one, that is just one element. Then there's the quick passing, hey, what about, maybe you yeah. could do, did you think about, hey, can we, those kinds of things that just don't come up when a person isn't walking past you, right? Yes. Um, I've noticed this just working with Rekai, like, when I'm there, you know, there's a lot of things we'll discuss that come up. And when I'm working remote, it's like, it's really kind of minimal, like, okay, we'll just t- we'll just check in on certain specific things that we both are aware that we need to check in on to keep the ball rolling. But, you know, there's not so much of a collaboration process. And it, for some job descriptions, that's fine. You know, what you're working on is you, you, you get your chunk, you work on that for a while, and what you need to do is produce results. But for other types of job roles, it needs to be a little bit more of a back and forth. And it doesn't matter if you leave a Hangout running 24-7 or a Skype call or whatever it is. It is not the same thing. I hate to say it, but it's been my experience as well. And uh, it, it, the reason why I hate to say it is because I all love to believe that one day we could all be sitting in our houses hooked up to fiber internet with Oculus Rifts on our head and go to work and never have to leave the house. That's my well, future. So I, I think there's still a place for remote work. I just think... We have to have the assumption that there's an inherent value loss in being remote. You know, unless you're, if, if you're part of a team, unless you're black boxing some functionality or some, you know, some entire project. Um, now, I could be wrong. I could be a curmudgeon, but it, it's funny because it, it just doesn't seem to. It just doesn't seem to work. Uh, okay. So let's explore this. Let's zoom in on this a little bit. If, if somebody, so you say it works for some job types. Um, do, do you think, uh, in some cases then that that should be factored into the pay? Like, uh, if, if you working remote comes with a, I don't even know how you could quantify it, but let's say a 30% productivity cost or collaboration cost or whatever right. you wanted to title it. Does that get factored into the wage they should be asking for or get paid? You know, I don't know. I mean, I know that's kind of what I suggested, but the way we've uh, ended up resolving this is just by not doing it anymore. Hmm. We have one. We have Zane, and you know, Zane's wonderful, so he's the exception. Um, beyond that, it's you know, I think we tried it with five people, and it worked out with one. My experience has been like it, uh, like for me, um, like I've had a lot of people offer to help out, but uh, the thing is, is like the work is the type of work we do involves these massive files, and it's it's part art and part editing. Like there's there is sort of like a, a feel to how things should be edited, and the, it's very very hard to have somebody remote. I mean that's that's why we flew Rekai literally across the united states that is he's he came from the he came from maine and now he's moved to washington so that way he could be our editor because it it really is something where we've experimented with remote editing we've experimented with a lot of remote stuff there's some things like um we have producers for the linux action show and linux unplugged and they're they're remote uh because they're doing 
uh, guest lineup. They're doing show preparation. They're doing uh, the organization of, of, you know, a lot of the operational details of producing those two shows. And they don't have to be on site. Um, and our, sometimes our collaboration does suffer, especially when I'm really busy and I don't have time to jump in the mumble room and have a, have a conversation yeah. for an hour. Um, but we try to stay in touch over IRC. What, what tools have you guys used to collaborate with your remote users? Have you guys tried like a persistent chat room and things like that? Yeah, so we have one. We used to use uh, Atlassian's hip chat. Now we're using one called Slack. Um, that's a pretty – that's been a pretty good solution. Yeah, I I just I, we just use IRC. I mean, just good old classic IRC, and it it seems to work pretty well because we uh, the most of us, the bulk of us, not all of us, but the bulk of us have always persistent IRC connections. So somebody can drop a message in in that IRC room, um, in, you know, in in, in, a, in a specific production room, and I could come back four hours, five hours later, and I'll see it. You know, I'm not necessarily there all the time. But it, then you do need more um, immediate messaging, right? So then we're using Viber. For the more immediate stuff, right. uh, which is great because, like, when we're going to go, we're going to go on location to Linux Fest Northwest, and you know, their IRC isn't going to be the best option because we're going to be moving around. It's going to be Viber, so uh, it depends on the tools. So tools help, you know, and things like Basecamp help too. Have you ever tried that? We had, yeah, we actually got rid of it. So we've gone pretty all in on GitHub. Uh, that has not. So GitHub is very unfriendly to our type of business in terms of the cost scheme. Yeah. We tend to have a lot of small repos rather than uh, rather than a lot of. I don't even know. What you would say, you know, one big product repo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I follow you. So it's a little weird. Um, you know, certainly at this point, we're paying. I think we're paying a uh, hundred bucks a month just for GitHub. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. It, it, it's. It's tough to consider that reasonable. Um, yeah, I'm playing. I'm paying a pretty penny to Google Apps these days. Imagine how I feel. I'm not very I, happy I about that either. Imagine. Yeah, it's you know it's funny, but GitHub's giving us the the um, you know the bug tracking and all of that stuff in one place. Do I think we're going to be on GitHub forever? Probably not. Right. Yeah, I mean, right. 100 bucks. In fact, we probably wouldn't have tolerated it for this long if we weren't currently actively working on a long-term project or um, where are we going to go we're going to go back to bitbucket maybe but the problem with bitbucket was the issue tracker was never up to snuff so are you considering uh rolling your own github server are you considering changing are you just thinking you're going to bite it down and and i i don't want to roll my own i think that's incredibly dangerous (laughs) i just I think what would end up happening is we'd end up going with Bitbucket and then using an external issue tracker. Mm. Okay. And the problem is, is uh, anytime you make big changes like that, there's a loss in productivity. And when you have, re- and in coordinating those types of, this is another example where remote workers can be difficult because coordinating sort of big platform changes like that with your remote workers, like eventually, you know, if you're a busy, if you're a small operation, something falls through the cracks, somebody forgets to tell somebody something and the remote worker gets a surprise one morning or something like that when they need to look something up or do something. And, you know, that causes um, friction as well. And it's very challenging. I feel like these are challenges. And I know maybe for your situation, for, for the particular job, it's not applicable. But for some jobs, these challenges are worth fighting through because there are so many talented people all over the world right. that the Internet connects us to that it's a shame not to be able to take advantage of people who want to contribute, you know? I would say that's fair. Um, the other thing I would add, though, is in, in our case, when you're a very, very small company, there's also a value in having people around just for, you know, having people around. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, for Yahoo or Microsoft, it's a little different, right? Because there's still going to be 5,000 people in, in Redmond. I mean, 
Yeah. In fact, that's a gross underestimate. But yes. Chris, why don't we do an ad read or else I'm going to run out of battery here. All right. So very good. Uh, I've got uh, something that might help you solve your problems if you're looking for a simple cloud hosting provider because that is DigitalOcean. Go to DigitalOcean.com and use the promo code CODERAPRIL when you check out. What is you don't You don't know what DigitalOcean is? Well, it's a simple cloud hosting provider dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way to spin up a cloud server. Users can create a cloud server in 55 seconds. And pricing plans start only five dollars per month and that gets you 512 megabytes of ram a 20 gigabyte ssd drive one cpu and a terabyte of transfer and what's awesome is DigitalOcean has data center locations in san francisco in new york where i've got my droplets singapore amsterdam and the interface is super simple the control the control panel is very intuitive and they got an api where you can replicate the control panel functionality on your own, you know, with your own customizations on a larger scale. So go over to DigitalOcean.com because listeners of Coder Radio can get a free $10 DigitalOcean credit by using the promo code CODERAPRIL. And you can try out that $5 droplet for a couple of months. I've been using my $5 droplet now since, I mean, months. I don't, I don't know. And I've, I, I haven't had a single outage. I use it daily. I'm using it right now while I do this show. I have services running off of my DigitalOcean droplet. So I use it for testing. I use it for learning. I use it for experimentation. But chiefly, I use it for production. And the thing that I know is it's all based on tier one bandwidth partnerships that DigitalOcean has established. They focused on that. They focused on SSD drives for performance. But what's really great is I trust putting it in production because of the droplet management system. I know that before I do anything crazy, before I add a new major functionality... I just make a backup, and I can deploy additional iterations of that server using those droplets, and when I'm ready to sort of expand out, I can deploy one on the West Coast. It's pretty awesome, and you can try it out in 55 seconds, and you can get it for two months for free when you use the promo code CODERAPRIL. DigitalOcean has so many great services, and they're also hiring right now because they're growing like crazy. So if you're looking for a gig, go over to DigitalOcean.com and click on that We're Hiring button and uh, see what you can do. Maybe you'll maybe there's a role over there that you can fill. they got amazing hardware. They use KV virtualization, tier one bandwidth. They have private networking if you want to have a web front end with a database back end that's not accessible to the internet. They have global image transfer. And of course, don't forget, they've got that API that you developers can take advantage of. So go to digitalocean.com and use the promo code CODERAPRIL when you check out. And a huge thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. Okay, Mr. Dominic, I have one more topic I want to throw in your face, if you'll allow me. Yeah. Uh, uh, John Rizig, I think is how you say his name. I'm probably getting it wrong. He's the dean of computer science at Khan Academy, and uh, he also, aside from being the dean of uh, Khan Academy, he's the creator of jQuery. Um, he's also the author of books like Pro JavaScript Techniques and Secrets of the JavaScript Ninja. And he wrote a post about something he did to sort of make himself a better developer and a more regimented developer is he started a program a couple of months ago where he codes every single day. He writes code every day, and uh, he then posted about his success, and uh, it sounds like something I might want to share with the audience. But first, I believe we have a caller, Jan, on the line. Hey there, Jan. Uh, hi there, Chris. Hi there. I have a question for Dominic. Uh, speaking on the topic of hiring, uh, me and a couple of friends, we got some funding, and we we're creating a startup. We're basically building a, a social app for uh, – uh, iOS and Android, and possibly also uh, going to make a spa-style uh, web client. Uh, my question is, since we're pretty much inexperienced in this field, is what kind of people should we hire and what kind of people should we contract? Um, I'm thinking we probably should hire designers and, and client-side developers, and then we can possibly contract um, sysops and, and back-end uh, stuff. I mean, what's, what's your opinion on this, Dominic? Uh, I usually recommend the opposite because here's the reason. The back-end guys, you probably need them all the time, right? The front-end guys, I don't know exactly what you're doing, but let's let's say you just need a couple of front-end clients and you don't intend to update them constantly. You can contract those out a couple times a year, right, or do some kind of retainer contract with a – I don't know. Are you in mobile or, or – I know you don't necessarily want to say what you're doing, but what what, exa- what are you targeting on the client side? Um, as far for the app, it's going to be like kind of style of app, like, uh, like Instagram and stuff. Is it like one big client or is it, um, multiple little clients? So is it like an Android, iOS, Windows phone, or is it just one client? Uh, it's going to be just iOS, Android, and possibly web. Just. So, 
does. So oh, three. Man. Okay. So the problem is you don't really need three. I mean, I don't know how much funding you got, but did you really want um, three separate full-time developers per platform? And um, then having your back-end developers also? Yeah, that's that's where I'm confused. I really don't know what I'm doing because we've never built an app before, uh, at least not on such a scale. Oh, right. We would really like to focus on presentation and be like really nice and good. As far as the backend goes, I already kind of have an idea what I want to do. We're probably going to deploy on Google Cloud and use a lot of okay. other services. So okay. it will make things much easier. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as the front end, yeah, I just wanted to ask the question, how would you recommend doing it? And, and so, uh, yeah, is, it, I mean, is it for hiring people full time? Because if we're, we may make more than one app in the long term. So. Right. So what a lot of my clients do is they're in a position like you. What they do is they hire their backend guys full time um, because they need them no matter what. And then what they do is they start on the clients each contracted out. Now, the question is, if you go this route, do you contract to individuals or do you contract to companies? Um, it's it's going to be a decision on your part either way. Uh, I don't, you know, usually the, the the calculus that folks in your position do is if time to market and quality are the most important thing rather than building up the company, then they contract out to companies like mine, right? Hmm. If building their own internal company is is what they're trying to do, then you either want to do a 1099-style contract or just hire somebody. But in your position, three separate clients is going to be expensive. I mean, that's that's a lot. So you're saying essentially full – you're saying employees for the back end, contractors for the front end? Well, usually a lot of – and this happens several times a year really – is a startup will just get funded, call us, we'll build their – v1 of their app and then we'll be there for the 1.1 or 1.01 um and we'll train their new hires because by the time they're ready to hire good quality candidates their investors are already pushing them to get to market Mm -hmm. so we're kind of doing the hired gun thing you know for that first and then a handoff transition phase right and then there's a 60-day transition yeah yeah Uh, i have another question since this is our first app and it's kind of a big one and we may need a couple of iterations to get it right, would you recommend to start with just one platform, for example, iOS, and then release that? And if that goes well, then uh, move forward to other platforms as well? Or would you just go for all three from the, at the same I would time? Rec- yeah, I would recommend you, you definitely do the HTML5 in addition to one of the mobile platforms. Um. It's up to you which platform. I don't know what your, your app is. You said it's like a photo thing. iOS is probably going to be where you're going to get a lot of your users, but that that's going to need to be, you know, I'm not sure what your requirements are. I'd love to have a discussion with you off the air. Uh, depending on what your requirements are in terms of user experience, uh, any kind of animations, things like that, you might be able to get away with a cross-platform tool, right? You might, you may actually be a good candidate for Xamarin for iOS and Android. Oh, interesting. Yeah. But, yeah, we, we're actually got a pretty hefty uh, package in funding, so uh, we have a lot of options. Um, that's exciting. So I'll just well, then email call, you call me. Yeah, yeah. that's gonna yeah. say. <laughs> I'd like to tell you about fingertip technology. Okay, uh, <laughs> uh, well, Jan, congratulations. That sounds like a pretty exciting project. Will, awesome. you, will you do me a favor? Will you send us in updates on your progress and how it goes? Because th- I'd love to watch this from the, the initial funding to when it's released. And, you know, we, maybe we give you guys a plug when it's out. And it, maybe when we do a future call-in episode, you can call in and give us an update, too, uh, via Skype again. Um, will do, Chris. Will thanks, do. Man. All right. Well, congratulations, and thanks very much for calling in. That's Boy, that's that's an exciting phase to be in. Holy crap. What a great problem to have, too. <laughs> I'd love to have that problem. Um, all right. So I wanted to get to uh, the Khan Academy dean and, uh, and uh, of course, like I mentioned, also the creator of jQuery. Uh, he writes uh, – I, I, he says everybody needs to start writing code every single day. He says he's inspired by the incredible work of Jennifer DeWalt uh, when she completed it last year in which she, ta- she taught herself programming by building 180 websites in 180 days. So he decided to set up a couple of rules for himself after he felt compelled 
He said, I must write code every day. I can write docs or blog posts or other things, but it must be in addition to code I write. It must be useful code, no tweaking, indentation, no code reformatting, and if all at all possible, no refactoring. All code must be written before midnight. The code must be open source and up on GitHub. He says, yes, some of these rules are arbitrary. The code doesn't technically need to be written before midnight and doesn't technically need to be open source. This has just forced me to be more mindful of the code that I was writing. He says, thus far, I've been very successful. I'm nearing 20 weeks of consecutive work, and I wanted to write about it as it's completely changed how I code and has a substantial impact on my life and on my psyche. And you can look at his, uh, he's got his GitHub activity chart here. He says, first of all, uh, minimum viable code. I was forced to write code in no less than 30 minutes a day. It's really hard to write meaningful code in less time. Some weekdays, I work a little bit more, usually no more than an hour. And on weekends, I sometimes am able to work an entire day. But here's one I thought might be interesting to folks, battling anxiety. Prior to starting this experiment, I would frequently feel a high level of anxiety over not having completed enough work or made enough progress. I realize that the feeling of making progress is just as important as making actual progress. This was an eye-opener. Once I started to make consistent progress every day, the anxiety started to melt away. And then this one, weekends. For those of us who are trying to get a little more free time and we keep looking at our weekends thinking, oh, I got to just make, I got to catch up on the weekend. He says, getting work done on weekends used to be absolutely critical towards making forward momentum. That's not so much the case anymore. Now that's a good thing. Building up weeks worth of expectations about what I should accomplish during the weekend only ended up leaving me disappointed. I was was rarely able to complete all the work that I'd wanted to and it forced me to reject other weekend activities that I enjoyed in favor of getting more work done. I strongly feel that while side projects are really important, they should not be uh, to the exclusion of life in general. And then the last one, which I particularly, actually there's one more, but this is the second last one that I found particularly interesting, background processing. And I know we all probably do this. An interesting side effect of writing side project code every day is that your current task is frequently running in the background of your mind. Thus, when I go on a walk, take a shower, or any of the other non-brain-using activities I participate in, I'm thinking about what I'm doing and what I'm going to be coding later and finding a good way to solve that problem. This didn't happen as much when I was working on the code once a week or every other week. I could see that, right? Uh, Oh, and this one too, uh, you know, because I've lived this myself, outward perception. This is a huge one, I think, for those of you who have... Uh, life, family, balance, commitments. Uh, he says, this has all uh, had the benefit of communicating this new habit externally. My partner understands that I have to finish this work every day, and thus activities sometimes have to be scheduled around it. It's of considerable comfort to be able to say, yes, we can go out or watch a movie, but I have to get my coding in later. And that has to be understood and taken into consideration when they're making plans. Uh, and just as a sort of to recap how much code is actually written, he says, I have a hard time believing how much code I've actually written in the past few months. I created a couple of new websites, rewrote some frameworks, and created a ton of new node modules. I've written so much, I sometimes forget the things I've made. Work from even a few weeks prior seems like a distant memory. I'm extremely pleased with the amount of work that I've gotten done. And he's going to say he's going to do everything he can to recommend it to people. Coding once a day, even if it's just for 30 minutes, and he says there's all of these benefits you don't even think about. And the one that the ones that stand out at me is sort of helping reduce anxiety because you're making consistent forward progress. And, you know, especially for you, Mr. Domic, now that you're going to be a married man, you know, it clearly defines a block of your time that I don't want to say is non-negotiable, but, you know, has to be taken into consideration. Where when it's not something you're committed to, you know, it's flexy. Well, I could maybe not do it today and double down tomorrow and then something happens tomorrow, right? So uh, what do you think? Would you, you know, you've tried things like the Pomodoro technique. Is there, is there merit to this approach where you just code every single day? Um, you think it's I... all smoke and mirrors? No, I'm actually very interested in it. I wonder if I have the discipline to code every day on something that's not, um, you know, that's not required. Right. Right. But you you could see how maybe it keeps, you know, it it keeps a flow going. I could see if like there's things you avoid. See, this is what it seems like to be perfect is if there's things you're avoiding working on because you just don't enjoy it. Having even if you have other coding tasks of the day, if you just said 30 minutes every day, I'm going to work on this thing. Um, I think that I mean, maybe it's just me, but things will gnaw away at me for a while. If if I like, I won't allow myself to play video games if I know 
ah, man, I could spend that time fixing this problem or man, I could spend this time looking into this other thing or getting this ready or changing this. And I just sit there like I'll, I'll launch the video game and I'm about 10 minutes into it, just really getting started. And it just, it, it's, it, it overwhelms me and I, I, I cannot enjoy the game. I cannot focus on the game. I right. have to quit out of the game. And it's like, I rob myself of those moments. And I feel like having this kind of structure where, you know, I've, I have partitioned off time. I know I'm going to do it. I do it every single day. And I know I'm making momentum. I feel like that might let myself, you know, let my hair down, take my socks off and screw off a little bit. Yeah. Okay. All maybe, right. maybe. I mean, I, 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 you know, I guess I just, what would I code? Well, there is that. Yeah, there is that. You got to have something to work on. There must be pet projects you've wanted to get done. Like, if you're only coding for work, then when are you having any fun? I'm never having fun, Chris. You know that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Chatroom says they don't want me to let my hair down. So, okay. All right, Josh, I won't. Yeah, your personal website, that's a great suggestion. There's all little True. things. There's little things you could work on. You know, uh, I, I, I could see it. I, I, I could see it. I just think you kind of have to think about it and just see. Uh, it's like um, I've also heard from writers that say, you know, if you want to really keep your writing skills up, write every single day. And I think it's kind of the same thing. Um, and if you're a podcaster, that's why I podcast every single day. <laughs> Is that why, Chris? Is that the reason? <laughs> I don't know why. I can't tell you why, actually. I haven't figured it out myself yet. Well, uh, did you want to touch on the Linux packaging thing? You know what? No, because I think it's a problem that's going to solve itself. Whoa, um, look at you, Mr. Optimism. <laughs> you're crazy. Wow. Ouch. Okay. Um, no, it's, I mean, hey, you know, I mean, jeez. I think, I think Linux packaging. All I would say is, uh, Thanks for changing your toolkit, Ubuntu. That that's that was awesome. Uh, but I thought you liked Qt. Uh, I did, but I have a code base already written in uh, um, GTK. Oh, Yo. yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, yes, Mr. Domino. You know, it sounds like we might have the workings for a future Coder Radio right there. Yeah, 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 we can talk about it when it's all done. Okay. All right. Well, uh, so this this here is uh, is our last, like I said at the beginning, it's our last episode from the JB Studios, and it's our last episode where Mr. Dominic is not a married man. So uh, thanks. Me. I, I know, I know, I know. But you know what? Now begins a new journey, Mr. Dominic. Now begins what? a new, yeah, a new journey. You'll so I'll wrap us up with this. If you want to get a hold of the Coda Radio program, we would love to hear from you. Go over to jupiterbroadcasting.com, click that contact link, and choose Coda Radio from the dropdown. We like to start out every single episode with your feedback, so that means we need lots of feedback every single week. It's a two-way street. If you want good content and good discussion, you have to help us contribute. It's not. I'm not going to say open source. I don't want to offend Mr. Dominic, uh, but... Proprietary. <laughs> uh, but uh, it is it is a critical critical part of our show, and we appreciate your participation. Another way you can participate is join us live over jblive.tv. Coda Radio is live at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern. Uh, we're also at jblive.info if you only have the ability to audio stream, or maybe you only prefer audio. I get you, dog. It's cool. Mr. Dominic, where should people find you throughout the week? Fingertip.technology? Oh, okay. You should find me at, uh, yeah, fingertip.technology. Sorry. Yeah. No, it's okay. That's okay. And... Uh, Congratulations, Mr. Dominic. Hope you have a great wedding and a great honeymoon. Enjoy yourself. Thank you. Thank you. All right, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in this week's episode of Coda Radio. We'll see you right back here next week. <laughs>